Hello and welcome back to French Football Weekly World Cup Edition. My name is Chris, I'm your host as usual and once again I am joined by Mr Jeremy Smith. Jess, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Yeah. Good, not bad. Uh, I'm not going to mention the weather because I do that every single podcast but all I'm going to say is brr. Uh, we're here today to uh, look back because it's been a couple of days since France progressed from the round of 16 with a victory over Poland. We're going to take a look at that game and preview the quarterfinals, which we now know will be against England on Saturday night. We're recording this on Tuesday for reference. So, uh, Jez, just your sort of first thoughts of the game against Poland, purely because France, in the end, pretty comfortable. thought they were very good second half, patchy first half. Um probably got away with a couple, although I don't think Poland deserved to take the lead, but they certainly had a couple of good chances. What are your overall impressions of, of both the lineup that uh, Didier Deschamps went for and indeed the performance overall? I mean, the, the lineup has pretty much kind of more or less chosen itself now. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I, I still think it will stay the same, but I wouldn't be 100% surprised if, say, uh Deschamps changed Dembele for another midfielder against England, but I think against Poland it was always going to be that lineup. And obviously, everything we've discussed about Tunisia has kind of um, uh, sort of borne out the fact that this is very much not only just the preferred eleven; it's pretty much the only eleven. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Fafana got his second chance as a sub and did okay. Um, he's probably earned that second chance, but we discussed just how bad the midfield was the other day. Canate is the only player that really sort of looked like <clears throat> he could potentially sort of push for um, for a place in that starting team if Varane isn't 100% fit or back on form. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there are any surprises there. And then in terms of the performance, um, <clears throat> I thought they started brightly the first sort of 10, 15 minutes and then they just kind of ran out of ideas. It felt like they ran out of ideas and, and they almost sort of, fell into Poland's I don't know if Poland's trap is the right way to say it but they they kind of went down to Poland's level rather than Poland rising to theirs um, and uh, just they just allowed Poland back into the game by just not maintaining any kind of intensity um, I saw that so there was a review I read that you know said Poland had, had had whatever it was four shots on goal throughout the whole or four on target throughout the whole group stage and they kind of said that France just sat back and refused to play ball so much and so badly that Poland were forced to change their tactics and actually play football, um, which kind <laughs> of is sort of damning both teams in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you said, I mean, it, Poland sort of really grasped the initiative. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they had a huge number of chances, um, <clears throat> but there was that, particularly that, huge kind of triple chance that um, kind of came, came from the right. And then Loris, who props to him on, on equaling Turam's appearance record for France. Um, I think Loris Varane and, and Teo Hernandez together, sort of three goal line clearances kind of thing. And that was really the turning point. You know, if Poland had scored there and had something to defend, it could have become really tricky for France. But they survived. Then they scored just before the half time she was breaking the scoring records and I think second half was was pretty comfortable really um mm. 
so yeah, France definitely deserved the win, but uh, what happened in the in the first half definitely sort of, um, I guess, was a reminder for everyone that they need to stay awake, remain, you know, retain a high level of intensity, and we'll discuss the next match in a bit. But I think this is a, a huge. Uh, sort of lift in, in level for both teams, not just for France, but for England as well. Um, but yeah, well, you know, the, the way they played the second half of the first half, they can't get away with that against better teams. Yeah, Matt, I think you made a really good point of making making the point, if you will, of the, the goal line clearance and the save. Um, you know, Loris hasn't, hasn't been in sort of brilliant form for, for Tottenham for seemingly about 18 months, but Fair play to him. He does always seem to pull out the big performances in a France shirt, and he did again here. And as you said, those goal line clearances. But Hernandez was actually pretty good on the night as well. One, maybe before we come on to the positives, and there's plenty of them. Um, negatives is, is harsh, but aside from the fact that he seemingly can't get dressed or maybe undressed in the changing room, Jules Koundé right back. It's some, um, I don't. Penny for Jonathan Klaus's thoughts, maybe. I know he's a bit more of an attacking right back, but it's not it's not really working, is it? And I, I guess we kind of, we called that, didn't we, pre-tournament? I say we, I'm sure a lot of other people did. But is that something that we maybe need to be padded out in terms of the upcoming game, you know, just maybe tweaking the formation slightly because Kreisman, <laughs> bless him, can't do it all. It just feels like Kunde's going to be targeted because he's just not a right back, is he? He's not, but you know that's a, a sort of rod that Deschamps created for his own back, and for whatever reason, Pavard has clearly become sort of persona non grata. So that and there isn't really much choice left. I mean, I think Upamecano could play there if he really, really had to, but. Um, you don't really want to go that far. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit distracted because Spain have just gone out on penalties. Just so it's got a basically Kunde has to has to play there, and no, he's not horrific, but um, I guess you know Varane is kind of concentrating on on staying fit and and getting back to top form, but he's now also got to have more than half an eye on his right back. Griezmann is should be concentrating on pulling all the strings, but he's also having to, to drop back there. Dembele, you know, I said what I thought of Dembele in the in the in the last podcast, and since then I've also found out he hates cats, so I hate him even more. Um so and he should be doing his bit. And I've been pleasantly surprised at how much he's trapped back, but I'm still not sure it's as much as I'd like. So th- there's issues there. And you know, if I was Gareth Southgate, I was I would definitely be telling the team to sort of um, attack attack the the right-back position, because I think it is dodgy, frankly, left-back as well, defensively. Um, it's not great. I think um, I'd be tempted to ch- just tell Deschamps, I mean, to if I was Deschamps, to tell the team to kind of carry on what they've been doing, but even to an even greater extent, which is, you know, in the last World Cup, they had this sort of asymmetric midfield where... Um, on one side, Mbappe was pushing really far forward, and the other side, Matuidi was was hanging back. In this in this World Cup so far, they've had has an asymmetric back four where it's been the same principle, but with Hernandez pushing forward on the left and uh, and Kunde hanging back. 
I think I would sort of tell Dembele, you know, tough luck, it's all on you because Kunde, we're going to keep him as an out-and-out defender for this match. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Look, like I said, he hasn't been as bad as I thought, but whenever there's danger, it feels like it's coming from there. And, you know, the English are... So, uh, you know, Polish are a little bit as well, but the English have, you know, the tradition of sort of being not shit houses, but, you know, strong, can bully. And Kunde, to me, it's also his lack of height, which makes it seem even worse, I think. And, um, yeah, I just... That, that that's well it's not my only concern but that's one of my big concerns that I don't think there's any choice I think Kunde has to play there um I mean it would be a massive rehabilitation if Pavar suddenly appeared on in the starting lineup yeah so it's just you know he's got one more match worth of experience at right back I suppose uh Varane has got one more match worth of, of fitness in his legs I'm trying to look at positives but it is yeah, it's nervy. Yeah, it is. And uh, so we will have a little chat about that uh, game before we wrap up this evening. We should, of course, talk positives. Olivier Giroud, as you mentioned, has the record now. Um, would it be fair to say he might not have it for long because we'll, we'll talk about Mbappe shortly, but it's important that we just tip the hat again. I know we kind of give it the build-up when he equaled the record, but now having it on his own, um, it, it's quite the achievement. And once again... You know, some people from the outside in would have been looking at his performance thinking, oh, you know, aside from the goal, did he do a lot? But I guess people like yourselves and or yourself and myself who kind of look a bit deeper will see just how pivotal he is to that uh, forward line. And I know there was, uh, I think Philippe Leclerc was, was taking some stick uh, the other day for saying that France are just simply a better side without Benzema. Um, I know that's like the unfashionable thing to say, but Giroud, once again, big tournament, big game comes up with a, a really tidy finish and claims that record for his own. Just amazing, amazing thing for a player who, let's let's remember, was basically shipped out of, of Ligue 2 with not really much hope of making it in his career, according to his coaches. Uh, yeah, I hadn't seen Philippe Poclair say that, but it's what we've been saying for a while now. And, yeah. and just, again, I mean, I feel like we always say the same thing, but it, it still applies. He's just an amazing professional, an amazingly hard worker. He's sort of confident in his own skills. He isn't trying to do stuff that he can't do. Um, and again, so much of it is um, what he kind of, not does in the shadows, but again, going back to the World Cup, everyone's saying, oh yeah, he's centre forward, he didn't score in seven matches in the World Cup. No, he didn't score, but he did an amazing shift as the first line of defence, always pressing the, the other team. He pulled defenders out of position in order to make space for the likes of Griezmann and Mbappe. He was important as a um, in defensive set pieces, as he was the other day. Um, and that's before getting onto the fact that you know, he had arguably a, you know certainly one goal poached off him. Um, 
at least one assist. I think, you know, certainly won the ones against Argentina. The one that ultimately proved to be the winner was a brilliant assist. Um, set up Pogba's crucial winning goal in the first match. You know, it comes down as an own goal, so he doesn't even officially get credited with an assist. So that you know, he even in that World Cup, he gave so much. And this one, again, this is after you know, how many times has he come back? How many times has he at Arsenal? He was deemed surplus to requirements. He joins Chelsea. He's deemed surplus to requirements. There, he fought, fights his way back into the team. He becomes Europa League top scorer. He scores a quadruple in the. Champions League group stages is dropped by the time Chelsea win the tournament, but still did his crucial part to help them get to the knockout stages. Then Chelsea deeming surplus to requirements, he moves to Milan and he helps them win their first Scudetto in over 10 years. It's amazing what he's done. And then the same with France. You know, yes, there was that incident in Bulgaria in Euro 2021, but he's never let Deschamps down. He's, you know, right from the start when, you know, he, I think he'd scored one goal in his first 12 appearances. Everyone was criticising him. And then he he sort of comes on a sub for Benzema, funnily enough, and, and scores a crucial um header away to Spain in World Cup qualifying and, and sort of from there his career is unleashed and and he's of course he's had sort of bad periods as any striker has but he's genuine generally performed consistently during that whole time and you know you could argue the type of striker he is the most important role that he has is not the goals yet he's still sort of found the time if that's the right phrase to become France's top scorer so it's absolutely amazing and as you said you know he, of course he's not you know all things you know as long as Mbappe stays fit he's not going to have that record for very long at all because Mbappe is already on 33 goals at 24 years old which itself is sort of a segue to the fact that Giroud didn't make his debut until he was 25 um so, you know, Mbappe has had a 33 goal or a however many over, you know, more than 50 cap head start as well, um, which is also a testament to Giroud's longevity and his fitness. And, um, you know, I haven't seen the stats, but the number of goals he scored since he turned 30. OK, Ronaldo's probably got more, but uh, Ronaldo's flat trap bullied you know scoring four goals against Luxembourg and things like that um yeah just I, I don't have enough words to to sort of pay tribute to Giroud mm. yeah I I do I love the idea of of him just sort of um finding the time to, to be Francis top goal scorer all the time uh, we should say Francis men's uh, top goal scorer all the time because I know some people got a little bit upset when he was referred to as the top goal scorer um, such is the way with the world but we have to be accurate these days so yes for the men's team alone um, just you sort of touched on Mbappe there I mean once again he just uh, he, he's well he's apparently he's missing training tonight which is a little bit of a concern although I hope that is just mind games but he is just a he, he's a force onto his own and do you know the weird thing that I noticed about him in this tournament is that coming into this World Cup, start of the season, Messi arguably the best player in Liga so far this season, Neymar not far behind him. Mbappe, by his own high standards, has been, you know, we had the whole sort of issue of, of his future at PSG rearing its ugly head again and a few things distracting him off the pitch. But it almost feels like he was almost saving himself for this tournament because Deschamps talked about his obsession of wanting to win this World Cup again and sort of wanting to lay a marker down 
he's doing that, isn't he? And, and the two finishes in this game, I mean, Chesney is no, you know, he's no uh, no average keeper. He's, he's had a great tournament himself, and it's it's not even the the it's not even like the the, the pace of the shots, which don't get me wrong, were both well struck. But it's the positions he puts the ball into, isn't it? It's the way he creates those angles to to find the shooting positions and to find the gaps that don't seem to exist. He's just he's just kind of excelling at exactly the right time at the moment. Would that be fair? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Def- definitely. But I would still say, and actually, a lot of, of a lot of French coverage has said this after this match. The funny thing is, he's not he's not necessarily playing brilliantly for 90 minutes. He's still losing the ball a lot. I mean, I thought the referee was a disgrace the other day and and gave France and particularly Mbappe absolutely nothing. But, um, you know, he was still losing the ball. I'm not sure I've ever in his career seen him win a 50-50 tackle. Um, Bad decisions at times. Pass has gone astray, and yet <laughs> he finishes the match with two outstanding goals and an assist. Yeah. So you can't really complain, you know. If it was basketball, you know, points are not a premium, and hundred points or whatever, it kind of doesn't. I don't know that it, it doesn't matter so much. But in football, you can have um, because goals are relatively rare in football. You can have eighty-nine awful minutes and yet still be the match winner. Um, and you know, as long as he carries on doing what he's doing, we don't mind so much all the all the wastage. Yeah. Um, if he, he still ends up with, yeah, like I said, a brace and an assist. Um, you know, his his records as well, the youngest player to get to nine goals in a World Cup, the fact that he's already at nine goals, um, he's already got two assists in this five goals, two assists in this World Cup. It's it's outstanding what he's doing. Um yeah. But again, you know, the second goal, I would say, probably fair to say, all his work. But that first goal was just absolutely fantastic and involving all four, all of the front four, you know, Griezmann doing Griezmann things, being bang in the middle of his own area, clearing the ball. Fantastic take by by Giroud, taking the ball out of the sky, um, laying it off to Dembele. Then Giroud carried on his run, pulled two defenders out out of position. Dembele for once made the right decision. I thought he was disappointing again um, and spread it to Mbappe and then, yeah, an, an excellent finish. And um, you, as a lot of people have said, you kind of expected him to do what he did with the second goal and curl it, curl it into the far top corner, but instead he did that thing, which is kind of his signature goal, I think. You know, he scored it in the World Cup final last time around. He scored a couple of big goals for PSG like that as well, where he sort of, puts his foot around it and just hits it into the near top corner. Yeah, just brilliant. Yeah, two brilliant finishes, but the first one was, I thought, an absolutely fantastic team goal. So I, I preferred, the second one might have been more spectacular, but I preferred yeah. the first one. Yeah, no, I, I, I tend to agree with you on that, to be fair. And the, the, it was sort of like the cherry on the icing for the third goal. I don't know about you as well, but I, I was, I had this horrible feeling that uh, Aston Villa's own Matt Cash was going to volley him into the stands at one point because he was he was baiting a little towards the end, and I did have some some concerns that uh, 
a player like that who has a bit of a history of kicking wingers might have just gone through him. So I'm quite glad that he has come through that game, hopefully anyway, unscathed. Um, just one other player I just wanted to highlight because he does get a lot of stick and some of it not all his own fault, some of it maybe. But um, Adrian Rabio is he's he is slowly becoming a, an integral part of this this side. I wondered, I wonder if you sort of see some similarities between him and what we have with Blaise Matuidi in, in the last World Cup, in that you know he's just quietly going about his business. Um, yeah, I'm sure, he's, he's not tearing up any trees. He's not scoring Mbappe goals or breaking Giroud records, but very important in that midfield because I didn't I didn't think Schumann was bad by any means. But he was sort of um, he was quite quite quiet. I felt it didn't really sort of stamp his his himself on the game. Rabio is just he's just kind of the oil in the engine. I think is the phrase I'm going to use. Have you been quite impressed with him in this this early stage of the tournament? I think he's been superb. Um, I mean, Chiuameni. There's a couple of articles about both of them today in Lekip actually, and I think Chiuameni has kind of been told, "Don't venture forward." You're, yeah. you're the defensive midfielder for this tournament. And I'm not yeah. sure he's that happy about it, but whatever. Rabio, I mean, even during that period where France allowed Poland to get on top, I thought Rabio was the one player who, who sort of maintained his standards. And he's just been fantastic this World Cup. He's he's run, I think, by, I think against Poland, maybe Griezmann ran further, but all the other matches, Rabio's run the greatest distance um a lot of them have been sprints i saw that one of them actually was timed almost as quick as the the mbappe run that everyone's been going on about um he's you know we know he's kind of i don't know if a spiky character is fair i think he's just sort of strong-minded um I think he's treated a little bit harshly because of that. He doesn't play the game of having a stellar agent and stellar contracts and things like that. I think he's one of those people that just wants to play football and then and sort of live his life. And because he doesn't play the game, I think he's an easy target. But I just I think a lot of the time he's been misunderstood, unfairly maligned, sometimes fairly. Um, but now he just seems at peace with where he is. I think probably Juventus is a very good place for him because it's one of those um, clubs with such a sort of um, a tradition is the right word but you know it's all about winning I know it hasn't happened the last couple of years for them but you know physically he was always tall and had the potential to be imposing but now he's sort of built some muscle as well and, and you know really dominates the midfield he's got I think a much stronger mentality as well and we've always known he can do a bit of everything you know one of the first frustrations at PSG was that he was a fantastic defensive midfielder and he kept getting annoyed because he didn't want to play there yeah. which when you put it into the context of Laurent Blanc at the time telling him he should be scoring 10 goals a season you couldn't so understand his kind of you know, I don't know, frustration, but confusion. Like, do you want me to be defensive midfielder? Do you want me to score 10 goals in midfield? But the fact that we're sort of talking in those two terms shows that he can do a little bit of everything. And he, it's taken him a while to, I guess, feel comfortable in his own skin. I think, without going into huge detail, you know, he has not had an easy sort of private life either. Mm. I think his, his dad had, like, locked-in syndrome and, and, and died quite young, or when he was quite young. Um, so... You know, he's there's a complex person there, but at the moment he he looks pretty happy with life. And at a time when Pogba and Conte were missing, and and France needed someone to step up 
performance-wise, but also sort of leadership-wise in the midfield. I think so far, Rabiot has done that brilliantly. Yeah, agreed. So the, the irony of the, the goal-scoring thing is this is the season where he has started scoring goals we've had this as well. So he's almost becoming a bit of both. And um, it's quite an interesting throwback to watch that game where you had Rabiot and Krakowiak in the uh, same midfield areas. It was like PSG old gen regenerated. But, uh, and, and he's definitely lost a step, Krakowiak. I still remember when he was outstanding, but that was a number of years ago. Um, let's uh, kind of look at the next game then and of course where we are in the tournament you mentioned it earlier on but while we were recording Spain have now gone out uh, Morocco going through on penalties we've seen the Netherlands progress we've seen um, am I going to be nice or am I going to be harsh I'm going to be harsh we've seen Brazil beat what can only be described as a Sunday league effort from South Korea uh, I know everybody's lauding them but I genuinely think you and I could have put together a team to beat South Korea last night if I'm honest but you know that's just me and we're going to see, what is it we've got tonight? Portugal, Switzerland. We know England are France's opponents now. Uh, Argentina have also gone through. England first. Um, you and I are both, I think it's fair to say, concerned about this. And we both said, sort of pre-record, that you know on our day and on the day, France are a better side than England in all departments. Better footballing side, better football players. Just, just better, um, you know, and, and that's that's just facts. But there are concerns that you have over this particular game. I think I share them. What what do you sort of see France as needing to do to to assert the dominance in this game? I mean, is it as simple as attack? Because we know England are going to have you know a job on their hands if if the France front four front four click. But is it that defensive side that concerns you slightly? It is, but I mean, I actually think both te- both teams are sort of very not well matched up. But I think there's a lot of similarities between both teams in, in terms of their progress so far. Um, they both seem to, first of all, sort of play well or score goals in in little clumps. Um, you know, I feel England's three 0 win over Senegal. There's different ways of looking at it. You can either say they were really clinical or they were not lucky, but certainly, you know rode a bit of luck in the first half were outplayed for a lot of it and then a couple of quick goals and, and the match is over um they all stopped playing didn't they as well once england were in front i felt like senegal just just sort of threw the towel especially that second goal for half time they just didn't have any competition in them, did they it's strange yeah and then i mean a lot of people i've been asked it two or three times are france a one-man team and the problem is that my and my concern is that a lot of French coverage have been asking the same question. Mm. And my bigger concern is that how much of this will go to Mbappe's head is if he's reading all the papers and, and will it necessarily have a positive effect. But they are not a one-man team. But likewise, England aren't either. They, they do have sort of quite a few attacking weapons now. Um, obviously, they can only play so many. Um, but look at the goals this tournament. Um my concern, oh, I've got loads of concerns, but yeah, the, the goals have been spread around. I was going to say my concern is that Kane has now found his goal scoring feet, but if he hadn't scored, I would have said my concern is he hasn't scored yet, so he's due to score. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can't when you live in my fucking head. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, they've got a lot of attacking weapons and they could say we've got a pretty good defence so far. 
Um, whereas, in, whereas France, I know that that penalty, the call was a little bit harsh, and then the retake. Uh, don't get me started on penalty takers being allowed to do all the fainting and and the keeper has to stay on his line and basically yeah, wait ridiculous. until the ball's already behind him. Um, but anyway, France have not kept a clean sheet yet in four matches. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is not great. And a bit of a concern. Um, I don't think England's defence has been hugely tested and certainly not in terms of an Mbappe. I know England keeps saying, yeah, you've got Mbappe, but Walker's quicker. That may or may not be true, but is Walker sort of fully fit? I don't well, know. This, this, is, this is something I was going to ask you because <clears throat> the discussion point around Mbappe in particular, because of course he's getting all the focus, is, you know, how on earth are England going to stop Mbappe? And this argument is that they're going to potentially bring in Carl Walker and there's all these memes of, oh, well, he did it against PSG, was it four years ago? You know, he's a different player now. He, was, he wasn't he was fit coming into the tournament. And there is some talk that Southgate might revert to three at the back. Who knows? But my argument would also be, yes, Carl Walker is on his day, you know, maybe as quick as Mbappe or can keep up with him. But... If you're killing Mbappe, you're not playing on Kyle Walker. You're playing on Harry Maguire, surely. I mean, you're not going to be stupid enough to just hang out on the touchline the whole game, are you, against an opponent like Maguire who you can conceivably roast twice before he's even had a chance to turn around? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if Maguire plays or if Maguire plays on his side, I don't know. Oh, he, he plays. I mean, he's Southgate's boy, isn't he? He plays. He's got his nudes. <laughs> I just, yeah, I'm just, I think... Who was it? Oh, someone at work today said to me, like, is there, you know, we're all petrified about Mbappe. Is there anyone that France are petrified about? So, well, first of all, France look at everything about English football through rose tinted spectacles. That doesn't help. But, uh, every, you know, a lot in this World Cup so far has been about Bellingham, who I do think is a very, you know, such could have been Phil that Birmingham retired his journal. But it still makes me laugh every time I think about it. But, um, uh, you know, he has been excellent. And just, as I said, I think the same as, as France. I'm not sure how many England players walk into a, into a world 11, but I still think that international football now has taken such a backseat to uh, Champions League football, and especially in a sort of mid-season tournament like this. I don't think it's about... I don't think it's necessarily about who's got the best players. I think it's about who can engender the best team spirit and use that sort of will to, to push you further. And I think that's why Southgate has gone further or got a better record than any other England manager, because I think he's just got a nice group of lads together who seem to like each other and play for each other and have sort of values off the pitch. Whereas beforehand, it was you know various midfielders bitching to each other because they play for different um, big club teams, that kind of thing. I think that's what France had in 2018. It's what they lost in 2021, and it's got what they've got a bit of back again now, which is standing them in good stead. But again, to me, that's another thing that the two teams have got in common. How many players are truly stand out in a world world eleven? I don't think many on either side, but it's more about the you know the some of the whatever some of the whole is greater than the parts, whatever the phrase is. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm, 
my concern, because obviously I'm concerned, is that England have got a little bit more of that still than France and a little bit more experience. You know, of course, France have got that slightly more experience as in the sense that they're the world champions, but it's generally still a very inexperienced team, whereas England's is not so much anymore. Yeah, yeah, agreed. If, if you, to sort of summarise that game in particular, then what, what would you be doing? I mean, would you be... Would you be going with the slightly cautious approach or would you be looking for for France to sort of start on the front foot and, and really go at England? Because the the, the concern, well, I guess the, the way I look at this game, which is is confusing me because I can't decide which way I sit, is I, I feel like England came out of a of a, a fairly mediocre group, but then equally Denmark didn't really perform and the other two sides were sort of you know fairly comfortable. Overall for France, I know they lost to, to Tunisia, but of course already through by that point. So I don't really feel like England have been tested yet at all. Whereas I do feel like France did get a bit of a test against Poland. They came through that. They had a bit of a test in the opening game and, you know, blew Australia away. And the Denmark game was a test. So I don't know whether I'm trying to sort of convince myself here that France have had a tougher run of it. But is is that does that cross your mind in terms of like, yes, England have come through relatively easily but haven't really been tested have they I can't think of and and in those few games they have played like the USA for example um, and that game against Senegal when they were running back towards their own goal they did look you know vulnerable I guess is the word so would you go for that more of attacking approach or do you think Deschamps will continue to sort of be what we know he is? No, I'd, I'd go attacking. I just I think that's where France's strength lies at the moment. I think um, partly, I mean, their attack is their strength, but also their defence is their weakness, if you know what I mean. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, if they can get a lead, we haven't seen England behind yet. So um, it would be interesting to see how they react to that. Um, for what it's worth, and... Even as I say it, I know it's worth absolutely nothing because it was already like five years ago. But for me, the one of France's very good performances of recent years, and, and certainly for me, Dembele's best performance for France was against England. I think it was a 3-2 win that was sort of very flattering to England. Um, so, you know, and that was basically Mbappe and Dembele together just ripping France, ripping England apart. Obviously, there's... Um, a lot of different players there but hopefully that will sort of somehow kind of engender good feelings amongst Mbappe and Dembele and players like that and, and give a couple of English players a scare or something extra to think about um, Sorry I thought you were going to say something else um, like I forgot what the question was <laughs> That's right. it, No you kind of answered it for me really in terms of you know would you go out on an attacking basis because I mean we, we know Deschamps is not going to sort of say to them right off you go guys gung-ho from the off you know we know that he's going to be conservative to a degree but yeah it's just whether you thought that, that they would put them on, on the front foot um one other thing I want to ask you is uh, just I kind of touched on it before but the tournament as a whole um, I'm not going to ask you the question of if France get through this how do you feel about the other teams type of question but I am sort of going to ask you that question um who else sort of do you fear you know what what teams have you watched and gone yeah okay they're you know, they're, they're tough opponents. I mean, is, is it Brazil and Argentina still for you or there's some of the underdogs that, that you would fear? Or Regardless of whether France go through or not, are there teams that you look at and going, yeah, they're pretty decent? 
So I should preempt this by saying that my pre-World Cup tip was Germany. And after they went out, someone asked me the other day who um, who I thought was the best team in the tournament. And I said, um, if Murata can maintain his form, then I think Spain are the best team in the tournament. So- well, thanks, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back after the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't been massively impressed with anyone. Uh, I mean, arguably, I think the team I've been most impressed with is Japan, um, who I thought were really unfortunate yesterday. Um, I think, yeah, I don't think there's a standout team. I think every team's got weaknesses. I suppose you have to say Brazil, but as you said, I'm not 100% convinced how um, how much they've been tested so far, but they do have um, a strong squad, I think. Um, and it just feels like maybe there's a little bit of destiny about them, especially if you know some of the rumours about how ill Pele is are. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just... I, I think it's probably a general French thing. I almost feel like I'm more, I'm feel more confident about France playing the better teams than the the other teams like England and and below who can sort of bed in and just play dour defensive stuff. Whereas I think against Argentina, Brazil, teams like that, where they sort of expect they kind of back themselves to play football, that's when I think France can punish them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at the moment, so far I'd say Brazil, but without a huge amount of confidence. And then I still think, on paper, I think Portugal are an extremely strong team, but I don't think Santos does them any favours. I'm intrigued by. I'm going to make my judgment on Portugal after tonight, basically, because um, I've actually been quite impressed with the Swiss. I thought. Well, I was, I was going to say that I can, you know, obviously we've had previous with them Euro yeah. 2021, and I can see Switzerland winning tonight. Yeah, the same. And I thought they, they handled that Serbia tie really well because not only was there quite a lot going on, you know, sort of um, emotionally, shall we say, between the two nations, but I thought they, you know, when they fell behind, the old Switzerland would be done for because, you know, it's defend, defend, defend. But this sort of newer Switzerland with Monaco's own Brilin Bolo leading the line, um, they, they do look like a side that are capable of scoring goals. And, and I, I'd really like them to have a go at Portugal tonight because I don't think... Again, Portugal have really been properly tested yet. And Morocco coming through, you know, it's amazing what momentum does, isn't it? They've got they've got the home, if or quote unquote, home support behind them in, in Qatar, haven't they? The atmosphere was brilliant for them. And um, I think they've got they had a couple of injuries on the pitch tonight. That might affect them in the next round. But um, yeah, and I and I feel like Argentina are growing into this World Cup a bit, if you know what I mean. They haven't really impressed me hugely, but you just sort of feel the deeper they go. Um, that that, that game that, would be interesting. The only thing I'd say about Argentina is, you know, I despise Piers Morgan as much as everyone else does, and obviously he's being completely coloured by his, you know, relationship that he's got with with Ronaldo. But <laughs> um, I do, to an extent, agree with the tweet that he sent the other day about the BBC fanboying over Messi. I think it's slightly overdone. And I think their obsession with that is maybe obscuring how well or not well Argentina have actually been playing. Yeah. Yeah. I I do. I do agree with that. And and the one thing I probably would say is if, you know, if if France were to, to go out, you know, to whomever, I, I sort of would quite like to see Messi do it, but I also not really a big fan of the Argentine squad. So I'm a little bit torn, um, so I will be 
I'll be delighted when we see Sofia and Buffal lifting the World Cup in, in two weeks' time. Uh, you say they're growing into the tournament. They beat Australia 2-1 and their yeah, winner thanks to a huge ricket. So. True, true. I don't know. I, it just feels like a bit of momentum is there. I don't, I, and again, I don't know if it's just because of the supporters give it a false sort of impression or... It's, it's, I mean, again, it's like it's like Brazil last night, you know. I, I'll be honest, I, I turned off at, at 3-0 because it just wasn't a game of football. Um, and I know that's a little bit sort of hipster. Oh, I just turned off, but I was just, I wasn't entertained. And I know, like... Yes, I, I feel like... Um, it, it's like the French rugby team. They're, I always think the French rugby team are a lot like the Brazilian football team in that... They need to do very little for everyone to start creaming themselves over French flair and Brazilian flair. Yeah. Um, okay. Just because people are sort of half expecting it, even though they haven't actually done any of that since the 80s. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I, I tend to agree. I think it's just like everybody wants Brazil to be, you know, the, 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 the Pele generation Brazil again. And, and they're just, they're just not. And I'm going to be an old man here. Sorry. I'm going to say it. I wasn't a fan of the dancing. I just wasn't. And I'm not, like, I'm not one of the celebration police. Like, I'm all for it, but I just, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just wasn't comfortable with the idea of a 60-year-old coach joining in with it and the the double celebration after every goal. I mean, I just, I don't know. Just the, the old-fashioned Sunday league, Chris, wants, wants to see them get a good kicking. But, you know, that's just my views. That is not the views of FFW, I should stress. So that's just me. Um, anyway, more importantly... I didn't see it. Did you not? Um, well, think, I watched, think you, I watched think the you University said. Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I think you made the right choice. Don't get I me wrong. Feel, like, no, I mean, I feel, the last two tournaments or tournament and a half have just have kind of been like a bit depressing for me and that I just realised you know, I'm old enough that I remember when like these tournaments were really exotic and you really were discovering players you'd, you'd never seen before. Yeah. And now just all the top players, we see them too much as it is. Yeah, I feel so like players it's... hang on too long now as well, like players that are well past their best that are still you know, grinding out in seeing Suarez on the bench the night in tears and you just think, oh, like you still here. <laughs> he hasn't even got a club. It's just like... Yeah, there's yeah. a bit of that, but it's just also, we know all these players inside out because there's so many bloody Champions League matches and Europa matches and half of them play in England now and just... Too much football? Yeah. Mm. Or... Satur- yeah. Satur- 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 yeah. Or just that you know, there's no surprises. There's barely any surprises anymore. Mm. All the, you know, all the top players have already been snapped up by a big European club by the time they're 17 or whatever. So there's no um, you know, real surprise player that no one had ever heard of before the World Cup, a proper breakout stars. Mm. Yeah, I, I I share your I share your um, your pessimism over it. I do, um, and you know, of course, like hopefully France do get through Saturday's game, and hopefully they go all the way. And I'd be delighted if they do. But at the same time, if they don't, I'll sort of think my interest will will wane. Further. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. I mean, if if they don't, then I can't. I'm not even sure I'll watch another minute of it. <laughs> mm. I probably will, but more out of boredom than anything else. Like I, I've watched more games on my phone <laughs> or like on the computer while doing stuff this world cup than ever before like i remember the old world cups i'd watch them all you know snacks in front of the telly like proper 
dedicate myself to it this one it's it's sort of been on in the background and that's not to say we have we have had some amazing games and we have had a few surprises and you know no no more so than today like that penalty shootout was was incredible and should should have mentioned croatia actually as another nation to watch but yeah it, it's just i don't know just just hasn't maybe we're just getting old jess maybe that's the reality of it i'm also. sure that's part of it yeah we're just getting croatia old. i saw they haven't won a knockout match in 90 minutes i think their only knockout match that has gone to 90 minutes since is it 2006 or 96 or something insane it can't be 96 um was the last World Cup final that they lost in 90 minutes. Jesus. Every other knockout match goes to extra time. And they've got um, a lot of older players as well. Yeah, I mean, how how long can they keep doing that for? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I think they're... Who is it they've got, who is it they've got in the in the course? <coughs> they play the winner of Portugal and Switzerland, don't they? I think. I don't know. Oh, I assumed it would be whoever... Maybe Brazil, the two that got through. Yesterday. Oh, of course it is. No, you're right. It is Brazil. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I've lost track of my brackets. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It is Brazil, and I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to hedge bets, but unless that goes all the way, I can't see them beating Brazil um, just based on fitness alone. But hey ho, we shall see. Um, right. Well, we'll be back probably. I would imagine Monday, uh, realistically, because weekends are a bit tougher, I suppose. But uh, yes, uh, we will be back. Hopefully happy people. Um, definitely not going to jinx it. There is some concern. There's definitely a bit of worry from both myself and Jez, but hopefully we will come out on the right side of it and we can continue talking about the journey onwards. But uh, until then, we're off to hide behind the sofa. So uh, my, my thanks to you for this evening, Jez. Much appreciated. Thank you. And uh, if you are tuning in on Saturday, uh, get comfortable because I have a suspicion it might be a slightly bumpy ride. But uh, until then, please do look after yourselves. Keep warm and we'll speak to you hopefully after another enjoyable evening after France dumping the down the World Cup. Let's hope. Until next week, uh, stay safe and we'll speak to you very soon.